It's getting late in England. It's getting late in England. <laughs> I'm being called to bed. <laughs> we love this music and we know what we are talking about. We've got opinions and we're not afraid to say them out loud. We already know if this is ska. Because this is Horn Pod. Horn Pod. Horn Pod. Pod, a ska podcast. We are a ska themed podcast. I'm JJ Loy, and I am joined by Matt the Don Wixon. The Don, what? I was no. going to do a nickname, and then I chickened out, and then you say the Don. What is the Don? <laughs> uh, no, I'm not the Don. Oh, you know who the Don is? John Drummond. Oh, yes, of course. Um, I was going to call myself the Ankle, maybe because um, <laughs> why? I got to tell you, dude, uh, I haven't talked about it on the show, but man, I have um, way back around like Mother's Day, I, I hurt my ankle and I was like pretty much like laid out all summer. I'm a I'm a waiter by trade, so uh, I was pretty fucked for money and I was kind of fucked for going to ska shows and ska dancing in general that crossed my mind at one point, like I may never dance again <laughs> and oh, it kind, no. of, kind of bummed me out. What and a heavy... So- <laughs> what a heavy realization. I'm doing better. I got the physical therapy going and all that stuff. But uh, I, it kind of crossed my mind, like, we've never really talked about ska dancing on the show yet, Matt. Oh. Are, are you one to skank at a show? Oh, I'll dance. I, yeah. I try to go try to go old school, like the, you know, Jamaican sort of... You rode the boat? Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I try to... I try to... I picture myself as sort of a Alex Dazer <laughs> on the dance floor. Okay. I've often that's, thought that's... like I should I should like study their moves because they've got they've definitely got like a I mean that's why they said they started dancing in the first place was to show people like what to do at their shows because they were playing to like rock crowds and you know whoever else they didn't it was like what is this? So like Alex and Greg started dancing to show people that it was like dance music i've never been much of like a dancer in my in my life until ska music came around and i've i've kind of like i was pretty good i was pretty good at it and not and not like the third wave skanking with that like that little kicky no but i have to say (laughs) i think what made my skanking look cool was that when i dropped my ankles had this kind of like almost broken turned in look to them like it was almost like i was like skanking really fucking hard and and it turns out that I have what? just kind of a deformed ankle, and that's that's been leading up to my problems. So this the source of pride has been your downfall. Yeah, I tell you. You want to you want to hear about how I learned how to skank? Uh, okay. Because this, this is this is bonkers millennial shit. Okay, I was in mid. I was in junior high school. I was like ninth eighth grade. Um. And we had a we had some computers in the library, like dial up. This was like the late 90s. And we like dial up computers. And somehow I found a website about how to dance the ska. And oh, it no. was literally like a step by step, like with uh, with a gif. <laughs> Wait, was it was it real ska or was it like well, it, it was that like, guy on YouTube that it, it, Well, I mean, it was like it's like 
kick out slide, kick out slide, like, I don't know, like okay. third wave skanking, you okay. know? And so like I was literally putting it together, like, Slide. and <laughs> like in the library i'm like okay i know how to do this and then i went to a scotch show <laughs> and i was like look at i can do everything <laughs> uh so that there's literally there's no way anybody hearing this has ever learned how to skank from reading a tutorial yeah i've seen some some cringy online tutorials oh just a text-based tutorial not even a video <laughs> i did all four frames of the gif <laughs> So uh, we we've got ourselves a, a guest tonight, and I wonder I wonder how much skanking he does. We've got a guy here on Zoom, name of Adam Reeves. He's worked with a friend of the show, Heather Augustin, on her book about the Alpha Boy School, and he is uh, currently adapting her biography uh, by way of comic book on Don Drummond. It's uh, it's going to be a seven part comic book. Uh, and you're currently seeking funding on Kickstarter. The project is called Trombone Man, Ska's Fallen Genius. It's about Don Drummond. Uh, Adam Reeves, welcome to the show, man. Hey, great to be here, JJ. Thank you for that great introduction. Let's talk about skanking. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, what's your what's your experience on the dance floor? Yeah. Uh, it doesn't take me much, to be honest. It doesn't take me much. Oh, um, boy. And what else? I have no shame. Uh, <laughs> I love dancing. Um, I love dancing to reggae, funk, disco, ska, soul, punk, you name it. Um, it really doesn't take me much to get on the dance floor. And uh, I love to just bust a move. Well, being from England, do you ever do that Northern Soul thing? That real... No, never did that. No, never did that. That no has disdain in it. Why was that yeah, such there a was strong There's a little bit no? of stink there. <laughs> uh, because it's a completely different world from the world that I live in. I mean, Northern <laughs> Soul is like an, uh, just a scene that is a hundred miles away from from me and my life. For a start, it's, it's based in the north of England, um, but that's where it came from, from Wigan Casino in the 1970s when I was about seven years old that's when that scene was kicking off and into the 80s so um no it's i know what it is i've watched the, the film the the movie and the documentary and I'm, i um i see the mods in brighton i'm, I'm yeah, based around brighton so we have a lot of uh, mods and skinheads especially on a bank holiday they all come in and they all seem to have northern soul all over their vespers um, but no, I've, ne I've never seen it up front, you know, in close up in a club or anything. Okay. They have, but they, you know, it's it's a definitely, a, you know, a, an an esoteric scene, you know. Okay. <laughs> they are serious collectors. They are serious, serious music collectors. <clears throat> in fact, a lot of the a lot of the original Northern Soul DJs, when the scene died out. Uh, in the 80s, uh, you know, they needed to make a living. And uh, quite a number of them, I understand, gravitated towards house music when house music kicked off in the UK big time in the late 80s. Some of those early pioneers came out of the northern soul scene, for sure. That makes total sense. Like, I'd, I'd never heard that. But yeah, like, uh, it's there's definitely like a, a soulful house kind of 
I mean, house was uh, a me mechanicalized disco. Disco right. is a kind of soul. I don't know. It's it's not that they're they're distant cousins. Yeah. I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Kind of like how Matt uh, fucks with dubstep. Yeah, because dubstep <laughs> was the real third wave. <laughs> <laughs> but you're uh, you're working on this this new comic book uh, mm, about mm. Don Drummond. How how far along are you? Um. Well, we are. We launched a crowdfund about ten days ago. Uh, for, and it finishes at the end of November. Uh, we are 40% funded as of today. Uh, trying to raise, and it's, it seems like an obscene amount of money, but it's £12,000, which is probably about $15,000. But comics are labor-intensive and, you know, really expensive. Every page costs hundreds of dollars to produce. And I'm working with a guy called Costantinos Pisorius, who's a Cypriot illustrator, who is a digital artist who specializes in Jamaican music culture, sound system culture, and he's fully immersed in that world. I mean, that's what he does. He does a lot of album covers and posters and does a lot of his own stuff. It's, it's a massive undertaking, what we're doing. Uh, uh, but yeah, I've been planning the whole thing for a few years. Uh, graphic novel was my original idea. I wanted to do a graphic novel about Don Drummond. Then I looked into how costly comics are to actually make. Because I wasn't a comics, I'm not an artist, and I'm, I'd never made a comic before. I didn't know anything. So three years ago, I was a complete novice. I was into comics, you know, growing up. I grew up on like Peanuts and um, a lot of English comics. Um, but the idea of how you go about creating one didn't didn't have a clue uh, so i immersed myself in like studying script writing for comics and um, found myself going deep into this rabbit hole this really sort of like very niche world of comics creation and um, and there's a lot to it you know they look it looks quite simple but there's a huge amount goes into not just drawing a comic, but scripting a comic. Scripting a comic. People don't even consider that that somebody actually scripted that thing. Yeah, and almost like a tighter format than a movie is scripted, right? Because mm. mm. it's panel by panel, not just page by page. Yeah. Well, why did you decide to do a comic in the first place if you're not really a comics person? Well, I love telling stories, and I had various ideas for films, documentary films. But you know, to make a documentary film is such a, it's a huge undertaking and it's you know, even more expensive next level expensive and naturally yeah somehow just seemed somehow more within my grasp and i don't know it was just an idea that wouldn't leave me alone first of all i had the idea it just came out of nowhere like that would make heather's book you know i got to know heather really well because we wrote this book together um the alpha boys school cradle of jamaican music she being in um, just outside chicago and me being on the south coast of england and we didn't meet for the whole time we wrote that book, but we um, we forged a great friendship. And I really loved the Don Drummond book, and I just thought, what a great story. I've been fascinated by Don Drummond's story since the 80s, when I was first getting into Scar, and the jazzier side of Scar, the Scatterlights. Uh, and back then, there was absolutely no way of finding anything out about Don Drummond. There was a sort of rumor he'd gone mad, he'd murdered his lover, 
she'd made this record and I knew somebody who had the record. It's the, it's the single of Woman Are Come by Margarita. And that was about the extent of anything that we knew. And obviously no internet, um, no, there's no, there was nothing written about it. You could try and talk to somebody, but you wouldn't get anywhere. So it wasn't until Heather's book came out in 2013 where the true uh, story, you know, she she's an incredible academic researcher. Absolutely. Heather, you know? She really, yeah. she talked to all the people. She looked at all the newspapers. She like dug deep. In she all of her books too. All like the, yeah, she, everything she's she doing does. such <laughs> important work for the culture. Yeah, totally. <laughs> you know, she hangs out, you know, in library archives for fun. <laughs> you know that's her thing totally where her head is at and you know she loves you know digging deep and and she she strikes gold you know uh, i don't know if you've seen the little uh, promo film that i've got going around the internet at the moment it's a yeah. two minute thing and there's a clip of margarita on there right dancing yeah yeah and up until a few years ago that footage was not known and that was heather who discovered that footage through her work, um, she kind of had, a, she knew that it was there somewhere. She knew that she'd heard about this footage and she found it in the, the Library of Jamaica archive. Kind of focused on margarita uh, in the don drama biography right like i mean she's such a pivotal big yeah she placed her center stage she really did and she did everyone a great service really because it's the don and margarita story you know she's not like this add-on she's this extraordinary character you know she she had a really tough upbringing lebanese jamaican uh, family with a lot of trauma in the family you know um, really tough stuff that she went through as, in her childhood, but uh, just she seemed to be this independent, fiery spirit that everyone loved. And she had three sisters, and she was sort of the the wild one of the three. And she left home at a really young age and became a, a rumba dancer. Her father had a fish business, like a warehouse, and you know he was a pretty successful businessman he just really disapproved of well he didn't know for a long time he didn't know margarita was a dancer he only found out because he went to see her somebody tipped him off so she was leading this secret life from her father and and sort of ran away into the ghetto and then married a boxer from belize this is all before she was sort of 20 and she had a couple of kids with him he was not very pleasant to her, so she she bailed out of that one. But she became this incredible dancer, self-taught, made all her own costumes. And at some point along the way, she met Don Drummond. I think they were in the same world. Because what people won't know about Drummond, if you haven't read the book, is that he had a whole other career before the Scatterlights. He was a big jazz star in the 50s, at a really young age. So he, he was in a band originally after he left Alpha Boys School. He was in um, Eric Dean's orchestra. Mm -hmm. 
And while he was there, uh, Don's grandfather, sorry, no, sorry, his grandmother died, who he was really close to. And Eric Deans didn't tell Don that his grandmother had died uh, because he wanted to keep him on the tour because he was attracting a lot of attention because he was such a great player, very charismatic on stage. So he didn't tell him, he didn't tell Don, and he didn't find out until he got back to Jamaica that he missed his grandmother's funeral. He was enraged and terribly upset. It was devastating for him to find out he'd missed his, he'd been tricked and missed his grandmother's funeral. And But that's when he struck out on his own and he got uh, three other musicians and formed Don Drummond Four. And no one thought he could because he was only, at this time, he was only about 20. And all the other serious jazz musicians in Jamaica at that time were in their 30s or older. It, you know, the, what the band leaders. So he, he launched his own band, the Don Drummond Four, and pretty much overnight became the biggest jazz star in Jamaica. And he, he literally had cues around the block that riots would break out at his shows when he played this one particular tune. Um, yeah, he, he, he was a very powerful performer. Uh, but that's around, around that time was when he also started having his first uh, psychotic episodes and checked himself into Bellevue Mental Asylum voluntarily. Uh, so his, his jazz career was up and down because of his mental condition. What, does anybody, has anybody characterized these episodes? You hear about, you hear about these episodes, but like what, I, I've always heard him described as a quiet man. So would that have been the, the depressive side of a manic depressive swing or? Possibly, we don't know what. Was he violent? Was he angry? Is there is there any hint about that? I mean, it seems he was at least violent once. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, we don't know if he what his actual condition was. We don't know if he was bipolar. We don't know if he was schizophrenic or in, or if he had a personality disorder. It's there's no record, and we don't even know if he was diagnosed. I believe Heather says in her book that he never received a, an actual diagnosis. So any treatment that he received would have been a bit haphazard if they didn't actually know what they were treating. Um, and the, you can only imagine what a Jamaican mental asylum in the 1950s would have been like. You know, it would have been a hangover from the Victorian age, the Victorian colonial era of Jamaica. It would have been a pretty brutal place. By all accounts, they had cages outside that they were kept in. Um, you know, and it, it was, you know, pretty severe. All of this is really leading up to the fact that the Scatolites was, was his second career. Yeah. You know, and that's not really a known thing. Yeah, they were kind of an all-star band, right? Yeah, so all these guys have been playing together for years um, throughout the 50s in swing bands, like around the hotels. And, you know, Roland Alfonso, Tommy McCook, um, Lloyd Brevet, um, Lloyd Nib, um, Lenny Hibbert. You know, they, it was a you know pretty tight scene. There was, you know, a handful of bands and they were all playing in each other's bands. And when Studio One was formed, in you know 60 i don't know 64 was it uh, 
the actual studio itself. They were the house band. The Scatolites were the in-house band at Studio One. Uh, but they'd been playing together in various forms up until then. And I think that's why you see a lot of tunes, scar tunes, which sound like the Scatolites, but are actually named after the individuals, you know, the, the lead soloist or the one who wrote it. Mm-hmm. I think there's a few different reasons why that is, but some some of them are because the Scatolites hadn't officially coalesced into an, an actual uh, formal entity. I always I always saw that as maybe like a treat to the individuals. It's like, yeah, I want you together as the house band, but like I'm willing to like get your individual names out there too, you know? Mm-hmm. No? <clears throat> we'll have to have Heather look into yeah, it. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> But yeah, Don's name was on a lot of singles, like the A-sides and B-sides. Like he he was selling records with his name, not the Scatolites, but his name. Yeah, I mean, he was a big draw. You know, Cox and Dodd, um, you know, he did well to get Don Drummond in stu- into Studio One on, on his books because, you know, he'd been this big star. He already had a massive name for himself. And, it, you know, he, he commanded attention and you know, all of those guys in the in the scatterlights they were all you know seasoned musicians and and by all accounts um when they played together you know it was like liftoff you know so he's margarita is a dancer would you say she's kind of on the on the risque tip or is it just the dancing's kind of frowned upon in general i think it was risque for sure and i think it was um yeah. Yeah, costumes were very exotic and uh, yeah. It was flamboyant and I'm sure it was very sexual and suggestive. Uh but she was in control. She really knew what she was doing. You know, she wasn't just throwing herself around. You know, she she by all accounts she really studied the um African dance, especially once she started hanging out with the Rastafari up at Warwicka. You know, Don and Marguerite were close with uh, Count Ozzy. And Count Ozzy was a kind of community elder, master drummer and chanter. Uh, who gathered the Rastafari people together in the 60s when they were social outcasts. You know, they were they were considered to be the lowest of the low in society back then. Yeah, so all those guys um, in the Scatolites and, and the other musicians, a lot of them would go up to the Warwick Hill area of Rockfort in Kingston. And after shows, they would go up there to just to relax. It was. It's not. It's actually in Kingston. I didn't realise Warwick Hill is. It's not outside Kingston. It's. It's an area of Kingston. It's a part of Rockford. It's like a wilderness area. I've been talking to Count Ozzy's daughter in the last couple of weeks and she's been telling me a lot that I didn't know. And yeah, Warwick Hill is is in the it's on the edge of 
Rockfort in East Kingston. So it's not outside of Kingston. And so they, they gravitated towards this, this part of town and they just lived up there communally, made music, smoked a lot of ganja, and a lot of reasoning. And I think, I guess it's sort of where a lot of the whole Rastafari faith and culture really came together during that time. It's probably one of the most important places in its, in its evolution was, was Warwicka. But I think the key thing is that they would they would have these sessions, these these Nyabingi groundation sessions, where they would all all the horn players would would just blow, and you know there'd be a lot of drumming, and it would, it would go on for night after night, you know, several days, and they were just really going off on one into their own creative space, probably fueled by a lot of strong weed, uh, and they were making a kind of free jazz, I think in their own way and it, that fed into the studios of Kingston but in a sort of encapsulated form so you, you don't get these long-winded solos you get you know three minutes of you know really tight dance music but there's something about it that's a bit mystical and a bit esoteric Mm-hmm. Or in like weird Eastern key signatures and stuff. Yeah, yeah. So they're <clears throat> studying all this stuff. You know, they're absorbing music from Ethiopia, and you know, it's not an accident. Mm-hmm. It's not an accident that some of the Scatolites' music sounds almost Middle Eastern. It's deliberate. They knew what they were doing. at this point there's more out there to find out or do you think heather's collected about all we can expect to to learn uh i think there's people who know stuff that isn't in her book for sure um, well yes i mean it, i don't know do you I, you you say you're still trying to like work out who don is in your head do you think it's it's just completely up to you at this point. <laughs> yeah, just kinda... I think it feels like it actually. Yeah. You, know, it's, <laughs> um, you know, I'm creating him in a comic book and it feels quite a responsibility and I hope I do him justice and I hope we get it right. Um, but I guess it's like anything with a film, you know, you can make a film about somebody in history who, um, from 200 years ago and you, you know, how do you, how do you create them? Cause you know, when it, you know, there's no one in who remembers them. So you just have to right. just go on what you know. That's all we can do. Well, actually, b- before we get to her death, you said that this is kind of a story about the two of them. Like it was the, the two of them were, it seems, sounds like they were uh, I don't know, like a twin star sort of like double trouble. <laughs> what can, do you know anything about what their relation, like what was the relationship like? Wow. That's a great question. Um, I've asked that very same question to Heather. 
for this for the purposes of the you know the comic script yeah oh it's hard to know um i think i don't know if they were like how we would imagine them to be like um lovey-dovey on each other necessarily i think it might have been she might have been a bit of a trophy to him possibly you know she was thought to be this one of the most beautiful women in jamaica um you know this, this exotic creature dancing on stage lots of men loved her um lusted after her and he got her you know um yeah. <clears throat> um and apparently he was very jealous he didn't like her dancing on stage and um he tried to put a stop to it and she was too wild and free and uh, there is something in heather's book about when he first took her up to warica and after they left they some of the, the rastafari said no he, she's too free for him she's too wild you know he can't hold her down she won't he won't be able to and she, she won't be able to be, you know, what he wants him to be. Um, I think, I mean, it's really, really hard to, to, you know, know what their relationship, well, any, no one knows what goes on between any couple behind mm-hmm. closed doors, right? Every relationship is no, kind of done in private. Um, so we'll never know, but... Unless it's performed in public, but... <laughs> mm, mm. I mean, I think she really loved him. And she really cared about him. And she, she, you know, she wanted the best for him. You know, she went and got the Scatterlights a manager because they were always chasing down money. And she didn't like that. And she felt that, you know, he deserved better. And I think she managed his medication and was trying to keep him stable and... He was teaching her saxophone and not long before she died. So they were, you know, they liked going up to the Warwicker Hills together and hanging out and playing music. And um, I think that's not much is known. So we'll just have to dramatize it as best as we can and create something. You're trying to get to the essence. That's what we're doing with the comic. You're just trying to get to the essence of somebody's personality and the essence of the story and it, it you can't do any more than that you, you build a story around the essence of a person you only got so much with a with a comic script that you can do so and also it's got to be actually readable you've got to walk people through and uh, you can't just cram loads of, sort of factual information in there because you just bore the hell out of everyone so when uh where in don's life does it start is this like a full biography or is this just like a story of his life like a story not the story i think spoiler alert it starts at the end oh uh, and then we go into his childhood so there'll be some nice scenes of him i think that the most significant thing for any child um, to be sent to a boarding school, uh, you know, that's that's just a massive change in your life when you're nine or ten years old. To be, it, well, he was taken away from his mother 
by the authorities and sent to Alpha Boys School because he was roaming the streets and apparently causing trouble and being a bit of an attention seeker. So, uh, yeah, they, they placed him in Alpha. He was warned several times. His mother was warned, if you don't get this kid under control, you're going to have to take him into the social care of the social services. And, and that's what happened. And, you know, that's a, a massive life change for a child, especially against your will. But then through that, he found his way to music. There was a music department run by Sister Ignatius, who was this incredible character, this nun who, if people haven't read our book, uh, Sister Ignatius ran the music department at Alpha Boys School for 64 years. And she is like the godmother of ska and reggae. And reggae, yeah. So I, I don't use the word genius lightly. And people do throw that word around a lot. And that you have to distinguish between somebody who's highly intelligent and somebody who's you know, very creative. You can be that and exceptional as well, but that might not be genius. Genius is like a, there's, a, there's a certain, it's next level. Like you've got something which is it's almost unattainable that can't be learned. It's to do with your, your brain wiring or something that you're, you're just a bit different and you can do stuff that is is really, you know, uh, almost superhuman. I mean, one example is apparently uh, Don was spotted playing live by one of the band leaders, reading the score upside down, but playing it perfectly. All right, any musician can tell you that that's like, you can't do that. You read the, play a score upside down. Yeah, um, you know his wiring was different, <laughs> um, but <laughs> but no, by but you know apparently he just had this from a really young age. He was spotted um, by the nuns at Alpha uh, as as being this really unusual talent, and he had an, an ability to write music. His compositions are on another level, and like Heather says in her book. Then, you know, he didn't go outside Jamaica, so he didn't get recognised, unfortunately. If he'd gone to the New York right. City, um, he, would have, he would have been fated. But the musicians that did come down and check him out, um, like J.J. Johnson, who's a you know, legendary jazz trombonist, he went down to Jamaica just to check out Drummond. Yeah. And Drummond played for Sarah Vaughan, and she told him that he was one of the greatest in the world. And he also played for Dave Brubeck, um, who, who gave him similar feedback. So he kind of knew from these from these these comments I, that that kind of cements it. Like those are some big names. Yeah. Like what a what a collection of quotes, man. Yeah, and because of that, that confirmed what he knew about himself. And then he's then faced with this situation where he's he's trying to make a living in a small island um, right. nascent music scene and you know the, the opportunity is not great and he's um, getting exploited 
you know, the, the whole story of Jamaican music is that musicians were just ripped off left, right, and center. There's no contracts. You're just, you're just like a, a hired right, hand. I was about to say, like, no, Kingston in the 60s was a terrible place to try to make money playing your instruments. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, in any, any era. Well, yes, I guess that's true. <laughs> yeah, so he, so he was up against that, and I think that exacerbated his, his whole you know, mental condition. So yeah, I, I don't want to spoil too much. Well, I guess you say it starts at the end, uh, kind of Sid Nancy style. That's great. You said a lot of people have said that about this story. It's oh, that, they? Like, okay. the Sid and Nancy of Scar. Yeah. Um, is that is that an okay comparison? Not really. <laughs> yeah. No. He cared more about the music than Sid ever did, no. right? Yeah. <laughs> Don, Don Drummond was a, Don yeah. Drummond was a world class <laughs> musician. There's a big difference. Yeah. Okay, I think I have a better example. Um, uh, before I got into ska, I was really into kind of uh, the beat poets and and stuff like that. I kind of got cut into reading Kerouac and, and thing. And uh, uh, one of the more problematic figures of of the beat generation is is Burroughs because he murdered his wife and then went on the run. And it's not a very defensible yeah act. yeah. And yet he's he's known as as a genius of literature he's he's known as um like i say a great figure figure in this 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 generation of uh poets and authors um i don't think i don't think the one act necessarily negates negates the rest of things but it does kind of color it right i mean well yeah and this is something i'm having to really face up to at the moment as well because um you know these times we live in a different and from the times we grew up in and people are much more sensitive to um, what people you know their their deeds in their lives and um, you know if somebody is abusive and if somebody is a murderer then you know then, then that raises questions and you know I'm putting out a story about a murderer you know fem essentially femicide um, you know he murdered his lover um, it's not it's not a nice story um, doesn't end great um, for either of them, but um, you know it doesn't mean that the story shouldn't be told. This is the thing: is that um, I'm not glamorizing it. Uh, you have to be careful what you're celebrating, though, right? Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You have to tell it, tell the, tell it like it is, and try and get to the truth, and that's all you can do. I don't. We in America, we're we have a whole party struggling with teaching American history. Because they don't like how ugly it is, and they don't want—they <laughs> don't want us to acknowledge how how much racism was part of everything in our past and present, and we're everybody's against it. But like in this case, this is something that's—I don't know—an unsavory part of a very important part of Jamaican history, Jamaican mm. music. Like, uh, so like I—it's—it's it's bonkers to me that. I don't know. It seems hypocritical to me because I th I think that we have to we have to acknowledge the uglier parts of the history, especially when it's uh, I don't know shackled to such an incredible musician. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. You have to shine a light 
on the shadows you know uh, that's how i feel you know if mm-hmm. you don't shine shine a light on the dark the what lurks in the corners then it remains in lurking in the corners so bring it into the light After Don murdered Margarita, which was on New Year's, the early hours of New Year's Day, 1965. Um, and we're sure he did it, right? Like there's... There's no doubt. He turned him, okay. he turned himself into the police. Uh, okay. Well, he, he tried to... Yeah, he was not in his right mind. He was, he was gone. And he tried to say that, it, that she'd done herself in, but, you know, he... She had stab wounds, and there was no way she could have done that herself. There was, you know, that was there was no question of that. Um, yeah, I don't think anyone thought that anyone else did it. Um, but there was a there was a murder trial. Uh, he was declared guilty but insane, and he was put in Bellevue Mental Asylum. And we don't know too much about what happened in there, but we do know that he was given. Ganja by the head of the hospital, Dr. Royce, who believed it was good for patients. So he was smoking <laughs> weed in there. Um, and we do know that he taught he taught trombone to at least one other uh, patient. Um, hmm. And there was an interesting incident, which I want to put in the comic, um, which is uh, that over the road, just outside Bellevue, there was a music venue. And the Scatterlights actually played a show there so that Don could hear it in his cell. Amazing. Yeah. But Don was found dead in his cell in 1969. There's a whole load of speculation about what happened. Uh, a lot of people think he was murdered. Uh, people think that, because Margarita's family, the Mafoods, they're, they're a big business family still in Jamaica, got soft drink businesses and all sorts of stuff. And they're, they're one of the most wealthy families in Jamaica. Uh, and there was speculation that they'd paid somebody on the inside to, to go and do Drummondin or that you know, something like that was some bad business, but there's no evidence. And Heather did do a lot of digging around around all this. Mm-hmm. And the conclusion she came up with was that um, he probably died of natural causes. But we'll never know. We don't know. But the, the, the medical care was not up to par Pro- enough to save him. No, no. Yeah. Um, that was my takeaway. It's been years since I read the book, but I, I always thought that whatever the cause, they weren't equipped to fix him, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think he was getting the right treatment in there. And he was he was apparently just a broken man. You know, once he was in Bellevue, he was not the same Don ever again. You know, he, he just lost himself. But at the funeral... Uh, the funeral got cancelled because somebody turned up with a death certificate and ripped it up because they thought that he'd been murdered and that it was set. Um, they put down natural causes or something 
um, on the death certificate and he tore it up and threw it into the air at the at the funeral. It was later discovered that that wasn't the death certificate at all. That was just a piece of paper he brought on. So there were conspiracy theories from the beginning? Conspiracy theories from the beginning. And then what we know about conspiracy theories is that once they take hold, if enough people believe in them, then that becomes the um, consensus reality for those people, which doesn't make it true. Mm -hmm. So how do you face that as a biographer? Good question. I don't know at this stage. <laughs> I mean, isn't that oral history as well? Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we'll, you know, we'll find a way around that for sure. Um, and the script for that part of the story hasn't yet been written, um, but uh, we'll find a way. Okay, so so I think that's a nice transition here. So so you're on the Kickstarter. You're trying to get funding. You want to do a seven issue release and then collect that as one big graphic novel right that is correct yeah okay how far how far along are you well we're 10 days in we've got 23 days to go and we are 41 percent funded which still feels like a mountain to climb but um when we there was a while when we were just like 10 12 percent funded and it was dragging a bit and it's like oh my god uh, but we're getting there and, you know, we're getting some great support from people, you know, there's just people who are like the right people, you know, get, really get this. You know, the people that understand the history and know what we're trying to do, they're like right behind us. We're getting some big donations. Um, the head of Supernova Festival just dropped like um, $1,200 on the Whoa. campaign. Yeah. Yeah, Tim, Tim, yeah. Um, it's sort of, Friend of the show, Tim. Okay, well, yeah, they've, they've kind of almost sponsored it in a way, um, which I, nice. that was great. That was like a shot in the arm the other night, came out of the blue on a, on a wet Thursday evening. Uh, and people, have, you know, are really going for it, you know, because we've got, we've got all these rewards. Um, you can just take the comic, you can even just take the digital version of the comic which, with a few other digital bits and pieces including uh, an mp3 single um, and we've got t-shirts stickers fine art prints and the piece of street art which is in one of our promo films there's um, a panoramic right. print of that and there's a piece there's a there's a beautiful illustration of the scatterlights by cost the, uh, the our illustrator he's done this great piece of the scatterlights in the 60s riding on a bus it's kind of really funky and uh, sort of like a fantasy piece ride, riding this kind of scooby-doo type bus with this the half the band are on the roof um it's just quite wild uh, so that's one of the prints um, and we've also got check this out a jigsaw puzzle 500 piece puzzle <laughs> of the alpha boys school book cover which was an oil painting by a french oh, yeah. artist called uh, jean christophe molinari Featuring Yellow Man on it, right? Yellow Man, Sister Ignatius, Don Juan and Rico, Lester Sterling playing a trumpet, not a saxophone. He used to play trumpet, and Leroy Horsemouth Wallace. Uh, so, jigsaw puzzle. Um, when have you seen a scarred and reggae jigsaw puzzle? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. <laughs> and if nothing else, do check it out for the artwork because uh, it's Costantino Spisorios. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted you to shout out the artist. Yeah. Cos. 
We call him Kos. He's just Kos. Kostantinus is a long name. <laughs> the the art is so cool. It's so like the color is the. It's just so vibrant. Uh, it it's. Uh, I have not pre-ordered it. I'm gonna buy this tonight. Uh, you've sold one tonight. <laughs> Great. He's got uh, he's got a very distinct style. Yes. And it's a, what I love about Kos' his work is he's very confident in what he does. He knows what he's doing. He's somebody that I can say to him, I can hand him an idea, and I know that he's going to come back to me with something better than I'd imagined. <laughs> Not like, oh, could you be a bit more like this, or could you do it a bit more like that? No, it's always like he comes back, and I'm thrilled with what he's done. I'm like, wow. Oh, that's fantastic i love it so we're so you know i'm just so um looking forward to getting stuck into the production once we're funded uh you know we're, we're in full full illustration mode and seeing how that all that evolves and all the ideas just coming to life and and it's you know doing a crowdfund we're what we're doing we're asking people to really jump on board with us for the ride we're saying you're part of this we can't do it without you, the ska and reggae fans who really care about this history. So join us, and you know we'll share it with you. Uh, because we could have gone, we could have gone down the traditional publishing route and found a publisher who would have, um, you know, just told us exactly how they thought it should be. But we didn't want to do that. It's much better to be independent, do it your own way, put what you like into it. I have to. I want to speak for just a second as to how expensive this stuff really is. I used to. I used to live with a comics artist uh, as a roommate, and uh, it can take days, even weeks, to do a page. Mm -hmm. That's and right. when you really put it into perspective, a page, a page, and somebody's got to make a living off of doing this. Like uh, it, it does cost. It does cost a, a bit of money. Yeah, absolutely. No, it's a mammoth task. It's absolutely a mammoth task and completely overambitious. I mean, what was I ever thinking? But, you know, you, <laughs> you get these ideas and you have to just pursue them. All right. Well, if you want to see this in the world, uh, you have a limited amount of time. Get out there uh, and 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 just get on Kickstarter and look for uh, Don Drummond. Uh, Trombo Man Ska's Fallen Genius is the name of the comic. They've got until 30th of November. Uh, if people want to back it and then we'll be launching another crowd from next year for volume two. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So why don't, uh, why don't you stick around for Canon? Huh? Okay, cool. All right. Yeah. Listener feedback is a segment where you, the listener get the chance to speak your mind, offer corrections and otherwise join the conversation. If you want to submit feedback to the show, find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Or leave us a message on the HornPod hotline. Dial 16 HornPod 15. Slightly melodic. Yeah, it was a different melody, <laughs> but way less melodic. Not, not, not amelodic. So yeah, our last episode about a month ago was uh, when we had the Westbound Train Boys over for a, uh, a ska jazz conversation, and it generated quite a bit of listener feedback. Yeah. Um, two people online mentioned uh, the human behind History of L.A. Ska and uh, Mike Saracen of the Pinstripes and Combo Lulo uh, both mentioned uh, people that we have 
uh, maybe neglected in our ska jazz conversation. History of Ska said we forgot to mention Jump With Joey. And Mike Saracen said we forgot about Larry McDonald. Now, these are not listeners of our show, are they? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, <laughs> so, okay, we didn't mention... I did feel bad. I did notice that we didn't mention Jump With Joey in the episode, yeah. uh, the last episode, the Sky Jazz episode. And I, I really do think we should have. Sure. I think that, I think that's an omission. I also think there's a thousand bands we didn't mention in that episode. That's true too. Um, yeah. But I, I noticed, I, I noticed during the episode that like Jump with Joey should come up, and I, I, I admit, history of LA ska, Mia culpa. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I, I saw, I saw us omitting them in real time, and I did nothing to stop us. I, and so, so yeah, it, they crossed my mind while we were talking. And I guess part of me was just like, we did a whole episode talking about them. I don't want to just retread it just because we have different guests, you yes. know? And so, and I guess the same goes for Larry McDonald. We have two whole episodes of our hit Slackers podcast featuring Larry McDonald, where we talk in depth about Cecil Lloyd group and all kinds of early Sky Jazz. Yeah, we so, talk with the man himself about his work and... I, but to be honest, yes, he also is a stellar jazz musician, and he—I don't know if we if we gave him proper credit in it, the previous episodes. Although I think, yeah. I think Dave definitely did. Dave Hilliard definitely gave yeah. Larry the props that I don't know. I guess we could have. I'm sorry, Mike. <laughs> I think I think if you go back and listen to those to those Larry McDonald interviews we did. Uh, there is a, a lot to dig in from the Sky Jazz point of view, for sure. That said, that said, maybe we should have had the the members of Westbound Train on those episodes. Maybe people are only <laughs> listening to the Westbound Train episodes. And we've also got some voicemail. Yeah, voicemail here from uh, Jesse in San Francisco. It goes like beep. Hey, JJ and Matt. This is Jesse from San Francisco. I just finished listening to your interview with members of Westbound Train and your discussion about ska jazz additions to the ska canon. Great stuff, though I was surprised by the quick dismissal of New York Ska Jazz Ensemble. The band deserves a great deal of credit for their important role in paving the way for the current popularity of ska jazz. In the early 90s, ska jazz releases were hard to come by. The formation of New York Ska Jazz Ensemble was a game changer. An active touring band of seasoned ska musicians performing a fresh sound not prevalent at the time. In my humble opinion, New York Ska Jazz Ensemble absolutely deserves a spot, front and center, in the ska canon. With over a dozen releases, I could listen to them all day, but my recommendation for the ska canon would be New York Ska Jazz Ensemble's solid sophomore release, Low Blow, first released in 1996. Keep up the great work with the podcast. Your fan, Jesse. Uh, so yeah, Jesse, he's, he's a very, very professional sounding uh, young man there. <laughs> I was like, yeah, this, why does this sound like a, like a radio op-ed? <laughs> like like, he's got his NPR on for sure. And now you know the rest of the story. That was not the voice. But, yeah. uh, but, but I think what, what comes through is that Jesse has, um, he wants, he wants his message heard and he wants to be very clear that New York Sky Jazz Ensemble is an important Sky Jazz band. <laughs> and we threw them out so quickly in the last episode. <laughs> I want it 
I don't even know if it's on the record because <laughs> anybody can go back and listen to the episode. I'm pretty sure that I tried to defend him at least <laughs> for what it's worth. Um, um, I honestly, when, when Obi, when Obi rejected him, I thought he was kidding at first. Like you, you can hear that in the episode <laughs> I was like, wait, what? <laughs> when, when Obi went hard at it, I'm like, well, like, who am I? Who, I'm not going to, I'm not going to argue with Obi in defense of a band. I also personally don't really like. Right. So I, I think what it comes down to is we can't deny what we said in the episode is if none of us are really going to listen to New York Sky Jazz Ensemble, when we're in a Sky Jazz mood, then how are they the cream of the crop? How are they the canon? You I know? wonder if it's just like, like if we, if we were doing this podcast on VHS in the 90s, I don't, whatever this, uh, cable access, you know, um, they would have been in the Scott Cannon, maybe, uh, as like the, the hot new, um, band doing interesting things with ska or whatever like i i i I just feel like maybe because there's a distance between when they were when they had a when they served the specific purpose mentioned in this voicemail of being like the ambassadors of something new and kind of whatever uh Mm -hmm. they, they brought it around the country around the world fair but once literally anybody else was doing it they were doing it better. Yeah, that's kind of that's where I'm standing. Like they're like the baton passers, the torchbearers, but not but, not the significant, if, not the high water mark. But at the same time, if you wanted to be cynical, you could say that a lot about like a handful of bands that would upset both you and I. Sure, I guess. Yeah. Oftentimes I find that the first is the best though. It's it's I think it's an oddity that they're the first and not the best, you know? That is also because, yeah, because I think that they were the first and they didn't, I don't think that they broke far enough from what was the established moon sound uh, because they still sounded like a moon band. I, 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 this is only going to get more voicemails of, of <laughs> disappointment. Bring it. I, they didn't go far enough to make it its own thing. Yeah, it was only, yeah, one click more jazz. Yeah, that's, yes. And that wasn't i don't i just don't know if that was a winning formula and that's always been their formula and other people have found different formulas that i and i assume i know you find more appealing all right well we got this other voicemail here from uh previous guest rich graco what matt jj graco calling from the car thanks for having us on that podcast it was awesome uh couple things that I screwed up. One, I just listened to it. One was um, Village Souls and they at Lenny Hibbert joint, not Village Gate. Village Gate's a club in Manhattan, uh, famous club. And uh, the other thing is, you know, the whole episode is on Scud Jazz. We didn't get into it at all, but it's worth uh, a mention that the term jazz is a uh, not without controversy, and it can be problematic. And uh, actually, there's a lot of black jazz musicians who refuse to use the name uh, jazz. So some, you know, like uh, call it, when Nick Payton famously calls it black American music, bam, hashtag bam, black American music. Um, but yeah, the long, and I mean, it's. I think everyone should go, you know, spend some time Googling that. Uh, it's kind of the right thing to do and uh, educate yourself, but... Yeah, the long and the short of it is that it was sort of a racist term. It was a 
white people sort of coined that term and used that as a way to exploit um, black jazz musicians. So anyway, you know, we didn't we didn't talk about it. We're having fun. Um, and if I uh, had been thinking more clearly, I probably would have brought it up then, at least just to get out of the way. But yeah, so, so I don't want to be a buzzkill, but worth a mention, worth a Google, and worth uh, worth you know to, to just keep in mind. So. All right, cats. Have a great day. I'll see ya. So uh, this is crazy. I've never really heard this, but it makes total sense to me that that the jazz itself might be a problematic term. So I don't. I I also didn't know about this. I did a little googling, and it turns out there are other like I don't know if it's like people beyond jazz musicians, but a lot of like big jazz musicians, like Miles Davis, is included. Uh, huh. didn't like the word jazz being associated with his music because of like some kind of like racial connotations or a connotation about like equality or something that people were going to expect of him. Mm-hmm. Even though Miles Davis was clearly uh, a jazz musician. I think Charles Mingus was another one that like just did not want the word jazz. Well, it is interesting too though that like I guess one of the criticisms is that jazz is loaded with this baggage of being uh black music, but then one of the proposed replacement terms would be bam or black american music. So it's not like they're trying to remove the connotation from it either. Right. Well, I mean, I also saw like just the terminology like the word itself has negative connotations possibly right i don't i, get I that. don't know like i yeah. i understand that that could be a concern and uh, it seems valid but i i don't know much more about that so it's it's an interesting bit of food for thought right <laughs> yeah well i guess we should let our guest back in here so that we can conclude our show with a ska cannon segment um, the Scott Cannon is a segment where we, uh, three Scott aficionados decide which albums will be accepted by all future Scott scholars as shaping the ongoing definition of Scott. And the Scott Cannon lives at hornpod.org tonight on the Scott Cannon. Uh, where should we start, guys? What, what do you want to do? Let's start with Don Cosmic. Don Cosmic. <laughs> So this, both of these are suggestions by our guest, Adam. What do you, what do you what do you say about uh, about Don Cosmic? Why why do you like it? Well, um, it's a recent compilation by Studio One, so it's not an original album or anything. Uh, Studio One still exists in some shape and form, and they're put they're putting out bits and pieces. And in the last only in the last couple of years, they put out this Don Drummond compilation, Don Cosmic. And it's great. Uh, it's got a couple of his jazz tunes on there at the end. So, but they were recorded in the '60s. So he didn't record anything in the '50s when he was in the Don Drummond Four. But he did record a jazz album at Studio One. We talked about that the last episode. Yeah. Yeah, jazz, jazz from the workshop. Yeah. Yeah. So it's from there, and so there's a bit of that. 
and then there's I think three takes of rain or shine and they're always interesting these you know sometimes you get a few different takes of the same tune but they are quite different you know the solos are different you can sort of feel like well this is this is probably all done in under an hour probably less than that and yet each one's got a different vibe different feeling on it um yeah and then there's there's a couple of ones he did with lenny hibbert uh, with with vibraphone on uh, which uh, so lenny hibbert was the bandmaster at alpha boys school as a percussionist and vibraphone player again we talked about him a little rich rich, rich greco was recommending his record last last episode sorry to interrupt yeah so a um, couple of lenny hibbert solos on there and you know there's some of it steers into a bit of what i call elevator scar you know the scatolites you know it's not all driving heavy hypnotic scar tunes and it does get a bit kind of easy listening slightly cheesy and i I think there's a place for that and are there any songs in particular you would call elevator scar because i'm interested in pinpointing what you're talking about okay um there's, a, there's two or three tunes that have a sort of like, almost like fairground feeling. Um, but yeah, it's maybe a little even bit Burt Bacharach kind of vibe. But they're 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 reaching for something, you know. That's what they're doing. They're 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 not going through the motions. No, no, no. But I think they were just listening to everything, and and all music was valid to them. You know, to them, it was just you know they were just trying out different things, and the soloing on those you know that stuff is great. Well, I was telling I was telling JJ I had never heard this album until a couple of days ago like this collect not an album this collection of don drummond tunes yeah me neither uh until a couple of days ago and so i'd never really just heard a block of don's songs like this and hearing hearing them together back to back especially even between the different versions it really gave me perspective on how he was as a composer and a like a soloist Thank you for bringing this to us, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, Because without this, I don't think I would have really had an appreciation for him as uh, an individual musician and composer, because you never really, like I've never listened to the Scatolites segmented like like by a ranger or write songwriter that kind of thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I don't know any other compilations like it either. I mean, there were, you know, there's Don Drummond albums that came out in the 60s. Well, there's like the Memorial Mix. Um, there's that, and then the, there's a, yeah, there's a, there was a few Don Drummond, there was a best of Don Drummond that came out on Studio One, and then there was a one, there was a memorial one, and then there was one called In Memory of Don Drummond as well. But none of them are sort of curated in quite the same way as this one. Yeah. You know, and I, I think there needs to be more. Well, Studio One can do it. This was my first time experiencing just like Don as the star as like the star uh, writer and performer.
Yeah, so I mean, I don't I don't know what else I have to say about this uh collection other than uh if Don Drummond is one of Ska's uh brightest stars, I feel like this is the best representation I've seen of it and for that reason this should be in the Ska canon. Absolutely. Put it in there. All right, JJ. Um, I totally agree. I think what's what's coolest about this is that you you get you get that whole vibe of of him. You get the different takes. Um, you get the the jazz stuff. I think you really can't do a lot better as far as a Don Drummond focused compilation. So I'm gonna give it a, a yes vote for sure. Hell yeah! So unanimous, three up, three down. Count me in. Ding, ding, ding. All right, so uh, the other one that you suggested that we check out is not a Don Drummond record at all, but kind of in the tradition of... Well, Adam, why don't you introduce this record? Well, what are we talking about here? We're talking about Jama Rico by Rico Rodriguez on the, on the two-tone label... You kind of mentioned that other guy too. So, so what, what, what do you hear in a trombone player that makes you think of um, in the tradition of of Don Drummond? I call it the roots vibration. Yeah. Okay. To me, it's it's a yeah, it's the roots sound, and it's it's um, a similar thing. I think you get in like klezmer, you know, it's, um, that yearning of the. Mm. It's like almost like take me home or something it's like yeah. it's really really it's, it's i can't think of another word from it for it other than rootsy it's like not you know roots back to africa but roots back home to your core to your center to who you really are Rico did two albums for Two Tone. One's called That Man Is Forward, and the other yeah. one is Jamma Rico. Just last episode, we included Man from More Rico, which came out, I think, in 77. So a few years before this. Five years before. And that record, like reggae jazz, we were talking about for sure. This one's got kind of a different vibe to it, though. This one's very, very rhythm forward, very African. Yeah. Um, very ethereal. Yeah, there's a bit of that two-tone easy listening, that Dammers easy yep. listening. Jerry to Dammers it. in 1982 is Der- Jerry Dammers <laughs> in 1982. But I think it was recorded in Jamaica. Uh, okay, and it's Jamaican musicians. I mean, Jerry Dammers might have had definitely. I'm sure you had a hand in it, but so, so half of this was rec- recorded in Jamaica and half was recorded in England. Okay, I didn't know that. Right, thank you.
But it's got it's got some real full on Nyabingi percussion on it. Yes. Uh, mm-hmm. Really storming Nyabingi tunes. Uh, and then it's got some really heavy reggae, kind of scarified reggae on there. Uh, the other album he did for Two Tone, That Man Is Forward, it's got more of a kind of old school rhythm and bluesy scar vibe about it. And it's quite upbeat and jolly. Mm-hmm. And it's got co- covers of things like Sea Cruise and um, O Carolina. Yeah, that's famous. Whereas this feels like more in the same vein as Man from Warwicka. Yeah, this is like a, a rootsy Rasta record again. I would say it's, I personally, I think it's on the same level as Man from Warwicka. You know, I, I, it stands alongside it as an album. It's it's a similar kind of intensity and purity. It's so distinctly different too, right? Yeah, it's different. Yeah. yeah. It is such a rhythm record, though. Uh, I've listened to this twice through this week. Uh, I'm really into this record. I don't. I. It's not that I never knew about it. I had kind of like seen it and ignored it. I don't know why I didn't give it much mind before. But um, I am so into this record right now. I can't even tell you. Yeah. No. I. I. I agree. It was not really on my radar before a few days ago. And I've been digging it and like it's and looking at the the list of musicians, because like I said, like some of these were recorded in the UK and were recorded, were produced by Jerry Dammers and Dick Cuthill. Uh, and they have like the rhythm section of the specials plays on them. Um, but the stuff in Jamaica has got Sly and Robbie on them. It's got yeah. other scatolites on them. Uh, it's yeah, it. Uh, just killers up and down the album. <laughs> it's an absolute killer album, isn't it? Everything, there's not a dull moment on there. It's just, no. it's just completely storming from start to finish. You and just it's, feel and like, it's well, got, they were on it's got fire. Vari- it's got variety while still maintaining the same vibe. Like, the songs aren't the same song. It's, it's, it's a very, it's a great listen. <laughs> yeah. Really is. So I guess my question is that I, I usually ask this when we're talking about Scott Cannon is, is it influential, you know, because like, just cause it's a great record, like, does it belong in this list of song or of records you have to listen to, to get Scott? And I don't, I, I don't feel like there's a lot of like people citing this as an influence. I don't feel like this is like on a list of essential stuff. I guess my question here is why isn't it mentioned more? I, I think it's fantastic. But um, does it belong? You know, I would say it belongs. I really do. And now, like the rhythmically, it might not be Scar. Okay, I mean, certainly not, not, like... not. But that's not really. That's not. But the that's concern. not it. But, <laughs> but as far as like, <laughs> as far as like, um, the the straight line between Scatterlights and where their music might have ended up if they'd stayed together. You know, right. it might have sounded something like this. I mean, they, the Scatterlights did an album called Rolling Steady, which was lost for 30 years and, and resurfaced. Mm-hmm. And it's that was recorded in 83. It's a similar vibe to Rolling Steady, if you know that album. It's a That's similar, true. similar kind of sticky, sticky, you know, like heavy, rootsy jazz reggae vibe going on. Um, so yeah, I, I would say anyone who's, who, who loves the, the rootsier side of Scar should check out Jamarico and listen to it all the way through. 
at least twice uh, because yeah it's a fantastic record and it's really danceable as well and that that um, the percussion on it is just electrifying uh, i would like to say this about rico actually is that i've got a lot of rico music i've, I've um, got albums that people don't even know exist and mm-hmm. uh, people should go and you know check out discogs and get hold of whatever you can because uh, you know every single record he ever made was fantastic he didn't ma- he wasn't capable of making a bad record <laughs> um, and apparently there are rumors that uh, his his widow Tracy ha- um, does have some um, lost re- well unreleased recordings which um, one day maybe they will surface who knows but also you know he did an album for Ireland which was shelved after what he did a follow up to Man from Warwicka which never came out uh, but all of those tunes are now available on the expanded edition which you can get on iTunes and Amazon and whatnot that you can get if you oh, get the okay. if you get the deluxe version of Man from Warwicka it's got um, about nine extra tracks on there, uh, including a version of Star Wars music. Um, <laughs> uh, it's got the Star Wars called Scar Wars, which is really good. With, okay. Complete with bleeps, like, you know, laser gun <laughs> like, bleeps. Yeah. <laughs> and it's got some sort of slow and nyabingi ish stuff, just not as intense as on Jamarika. And some R&B kind of... Um, almost like um, I don't know what you call it really like jazz, jazzy R&B stuff on there that's really danceable uh, and also that that deluxe edition has the complete dub of Man from Warwicka if you haven't heard the dub of Warwicka I, I have yeah, heard the dub yeah well dub's great it hasn't got hardly any uh, horns on it they've stripped the horns right out ah. so just little hints of it yeah <laughs> Uh, it's almost like a completely different record, basically. But it's great. If Don was the star at a young age, and Rico was clearly a competent trombonist, uh, if not as good as Don, he had he had chops to get as good as as he became. Uh, like having spent that much time in close proximity to Don Drummond, naturally would like kind of put that imprint all over Rico. Mm, I, I would but, think, but Rico's sound is really distinctly Rico. You know, when he oh for when, sure, when, for sure. When he plays, you just know you're hearing Rico. No one plays like Rico. He's got this way of playing that trombone where it's so fat. It's so like you know, it's it's just Rico. The moment you hear him play, it's like it's just Rico. No mm. one can do it. Because, like I say, I don't know how big this record is, but I'm also an easy yes for the canon. <laughs> so I'm just going to start and see if anyone wants to stop me. I'm going to go ahead and say yes to this one. I, I would say yes because um, listening to it is it enriches your knowledge and experience of 
of the ska tradition. Yes. Yeah, so these tunes that people should just expand beyond Scar and kind of like it, it, people I think people sort of think it's either oh, yeah. this or that it's black and white it's not it's all just it's, oh. all, it's all just one amorphous blob really in my opinion that's one of the things I love about this is that this is a kind of a genre mix up and that you don't normally see like this is like I said uh, it's got it's got the jazz it's got the reggae it's got the Nyabingi and the African, but it's also got like that easy listening. It's also got like kind of an early 80s sound to it. Like it's uh it's a lot of things all at once and it's great. Honestly, it's a yes it's a yes for me too, just for the I mean, the the lineup is is nuts. And the fact that <laughs> so many of these songs have like half of the specials doing this kind of music makes it like I can't believe I never heard this uh before like i i don't know how important it is uh how important it was before but it's in the ska canon now so we'll see we'll see we'll see where it goes um and fairly fairly available uh definitely streamable um it's been re-released several times so i don't i don't think it's gonna be hard to get your hands on it if you if you want to that's called uh jamarico by rico rodriguez but i think it's just credited to rico i don't think uh you'll find the rodriguez on that yeah he was just rico um, he, he was always rico yeah. his records are just by exactly rico. yeah yeah just re-released um on two-tone records in 2021 in the uk so so definitely should be some floating around out there actually i thought there was a 40th anniversary vinyl release this year might even be more yeah oh, wow. i'm just looking at it wow. one little page i could here, be wrong yeah. i thought i saw something about this you, your eyes got so big adam <laughs> yeah i'm like i want to <laughs> i want to hear the dubs of that album though. oh man that'd be so cool uh well adam thank you so much for for being on our show i mean i really appreciate it thank uh, you for having me guys I'm before really we go before insight. we go there absolutely is a 40th anniversary release out there i don't <laughs> know the details go look at it okay i'm i'm, I'm there i'm there with that one <laughs> thank you so much yeah it's it's been a pleasure and you know so much and thank you for sharing that with us yeah let's get everybody to go visit the kickstarter get yourself a copy of uh of this new comic when it comes out and uh and and support this kind of thing right guys oh while we were talking i didn't wait while we were talking i backed it so <laughs> oh nice <laughs> matt's a matt's a member there we go thanks guys thank you thanks thank you, thanks, thanks matt much appreciated uh-huh. <laughs> i just want to you know it's great that you gave me the support you know because it's like it's a massive thing getting this whole beast off the ground and i'm sure without without you know the podcasters uh, who care about the music getting behind it it just won't happen so yeah. you know or it's harder to make it happen so just want to say thank you really appreciate it and um stay in touch yes okay yeah we'll let you know for sure cool. yeah cheers guys thank yeah. you sir This concludes another episode of Horn Pod. If you like this sort of thing, maybe tell your friends. Please tell your friends. Help us become the world's top ska podcast by hopping on Apple Podcasts and giving us a five-star review. But more than anything else, please just keep coming back for another episode of this here Horn Pod. Because if you don't, oh boy. Oh boy, we'll know. <laughs> yes, bruising we will. Me, my name is Matt Wixon. And I'm signing off for J.J. Lloyd. Bye.